doing it last year. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to say this when I'm loud, so you might want to turn me down. I'm Puerto Rican, remember? Um, <laughs> last night at, at our house, I don't know if you guys got it. Uh, we live about three hours away. There was a nasty windstorm, and I was dead asleep, and that wind came gr- blowing through. And now, mind you, about three months ago, a tree fell on my son's car um, and totaled it. So I was like, babe, should I move my car? Should I move my car? Like, I'm still nervous about that. And we could hear it. It was, it was loud. You could hear it like we were singing tonight. You could hear the wind. But let me tell you, it was different when you stepped outside because I didn't just hear it anymore. I felt it. And Miss Carla, your reef on my door, I thought that rooster was going to fly away because I opened that door. And I I was like, I felt like Dorothy, babe. Like I went out there and I was moving my car. I was so shook up because we have a big tree in our front yard. I I was imagining (laughs) limbs falling on me. And I closed my door and I I left my car on. And I'm like trying to lock it. But let me tell you, I don't want to just hear the wind of God tonight. I want to feel it because there was a huge difference. My kids slept through the whole thing. I don't want to sleep through anything God's going to do tonight. I don't want to just hear it. Who's in the house that wants to feel the wind of God tonight? I want to feel it till it messes my hair up. I want my makeup to roll down off my face. I want to kick off my shoes and dance. And I want to feel the wind of God tonight. We are here because we want a revival but I, I want to tell you we often want the, we want the product of revival we don't often want the process tonight we got to go through a little bit of the process we're going to have to do some things we're going to have to face some things and we're going to have to talk about some things that are happening in the church because revival don't come easy it's not an easy thing But when it's done, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. I believe that our nation is ripe for revival. So I don't just want it for me. I want it for my boys. I teach in public school. Let me tell you, our schools need revival. If I have one more sixth grader come to me and tell me that they are confused about their gender, we need revival. We need revival. We need revival, and it pleases me to see some young kids here because we were just talking, Elizabeth and I, I believe it's this young generation that will usher it in in these last days. So thank you for having me back. Thank you. I brought my friend Tina. We are a church launch down in Fallensby, Wharton, Steubenville, Ohio. We're all over the place. And she has been with us since our very first day. We launched on Easter in 2014. And we always tell this story <laughs> with Tina. My husband went up to her and said, we're so glad you're here. We hope you enjoy the service. She said, we'll see. <laughs> well, we've been seeing for eight years, sister. <laughs> so... um we're just so grateful. All right. So here we go. Let's get into this thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that, that you increase and I decrease tonight. I pray that like Jeremiah, that you touch my lips, Father God, and everything that comes forth be only by the permission of the Holy Spirit, that any of my flesh be cut away. Anything that is of my desires and my will and my purpose comes be put to the side, Father God, for you to prevail and for you to reign in this place and to pierce our hearts. Begin with me, Lord God. Let it begin with me. Whatever you have to speak, Father, work it through me as I speak it out, Lord Jesus, that it be authentic and real and transparent and not with any lies in the name of Jesus we pray and everybody says amen so here we go in 1960 about the time that we were looking at there is a man if you went to ORU and I know I have an ORU grad here where she at whoop whoop Uh, (laughs) you often heard of Francis Schaeffer And Francis Schaeffer warned in 1960 that we were entering a post-Christian era. So what does that even mean, this post-Christian era, to a, a nation that is supposed to be the godly nation, the Christian nation? 
In a post-Christian society, the authority of God in the Bible is replaced with the authority of the state and popular opinion. Moral responsibility takes second place to legality and mob justice. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We have now entered that season and we've been there for quite some time. And Mark 7, 8 says this, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. The CEB says it this way, you ignore God's commandment while holding on to the rules created by humans and handed down to you. We have entered a time where our churches in America are more consumed with what is politically correct versus what God says to be true. For I serve a God whose word has not withered, it's not faded, it does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his word hasn't changed. What has changed is the body of Christ and not into the direction that he is leading. And as a result, we move from assuming Christian values to ignoring them, to resenting them, to repressing them, to eventually persecuting them. And if you're wondering, we are in the repressing stage here in America. You have probably, I just watched someone last night that they said a maverick video they had posted about repentance, Facebook removed. How many of you at one point this year, something of yours has been removed because of something you said because it was offensive to the public? And you were probably teaching and preaching the word of God. We are in the repressing stage. But here's the good news. We're getting ready for persecution. And you think, how is there good news in that? Because all I know is when the church was first persecuted, it scattered. The largest church in the world right now that is growing is in a, is in a place where they're being persecuted. And it's growing through women preaching the gospel. Something happens when God's people are persecuted. It's like being the pressing it's going gonna, it's gonna to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's going to separate those who are committed to the Lord and who are fully following him from those who are just fans. I'm not here to be a fan. I'm here to be a follower. And it's going to quickly separate those who are really after our God. Because the persecution is coming. But we still want revival. I don't know about you, but I need revival. There's a huge difference between a want and a need. A want I can live without. A need I cannot. I need water. I need food. I need clothes on my body. I want nice high heels and I want a Starbucks. Two different things. But let me tell you, what I need is a revival. What this country needs is a revival. What was once Christian is now post-Christian and will eventually be anti-Christian. Think about how far our nation has drifted in the 60 years since Francis Schaeffer made that statement. In 1960, 67% of Americans would have considered themselves Protestant. A survey was done in 2018, it is now 37%, and we're not even gonna talk about the sheeps and the goats, because some of them, they really are just goats that think they're, they're serving the Lord. So that number actually is significantly lower. Think about what you have seen in your life. At the 20 years I've been teaching, I have seen depravity. I have seen things happen that I never thought I would see happen at a middle school level. Think about what you have witnessed in your lifetime that you honestly thought, I thought I would never see that happen. Let's just look at television. They say, does, does, te does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Think of, when I grew up in the, in the 70s and the 80s. I grew up watching Little House in the Prairie and the Waltons, where the Bible was never hidden. It was very overtly put out there. It was almost like witnessing. You know, you, they, 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 they just laid it out there. Paul prayed with them. They went to church. The Waltons preached all the time. Then we moved into the 80s, and we had good, rounded families, the Huxtables. I mean, you know, Bill Cosby got a little, but... But I still love Mr. Huxtable. I wanted to be Claire. That woman laid down the law. She just, I mean, she was the OG of, don't, don't mess with me. 
Don't matter. And I, when, my, when I get that way with my kids, I am channeling Claire Huxtable. I just can't speak the Spanish like me. When she would go off on that Spanish, I was like, man, Mom, why didn't you teach me Spanish? But <laughs> then we go to the time where Ro- Roseanne comes along. And you see the woman take the place of the man, and all of a sudden, all men are imbeciles and stupid and, and worthless. Then you move into the 2000s, and if you pay attention, parents have completely disappeared from the scene. Don't tell me that isn't what has happened in society. I gave a scenario the other day to my students, and I was saying something about a bullying experience I had when I was little, and I said to them, I said, you know who showed up at the bus stop the next day? Every single one of them said, your mom. And I said, no, my dad, not a single child thought to think of dad as the one who came and stood every single, nothing wrong with our moms, but where are all our dads? Out of 120 students, not a single one said, oh, my dad would have shown up. We have come so far. We have lost our biblical um, compass in America. If there is a generation that needs revival, it is this one. And we do not have to guess what God would say about all this because there was a period in history, in biblical history, that so greatly parallels our time that Francis Schaeffer had to point it out that it was the day of Jeremiah and that the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentation shows how God views a culture which knew him and deliberately turned away from him. We are living in a time where we are deliberately turning away from God because now it's not cool and now it's politically incorrect and now you're going to be crucified on social media if you stand up for God and why you got to preach Jesus so much why you got to talk like that why you got to be a Jesus freak and they want to shut us down and shut us up but God is calling us to stand up and to stand out and to speak it out and to preach it out and to call out it call it out and stop being quiet about this God we serve 2 Peter 1.19 says this, we also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. The prophets of the old weren't just for the, the Jews. They weren't just for the people of Israel. Peter said this after he had, a, he had been with Christ. So it wasn't just like, okay, once the messianic prophets were fulfilled, now we're done with those books. They're still relevant today. So if they're still relevant today and Jeremiah parallels our life, then we need to go there. We need to see what God had to say to those people who were, who were living in their own version of a post-Christian error. Because I need to know either what they did right or what they did wrong because I won't live long enough to make all the mistakes. So I might as well learn from theirs. Amen? So let's go there. As we look at Jeremiah, and I read, I studied Jeremiah probably for two months, and it, as I was reading it, I understand why they called him the weeping prophet, because it will make you cry, because I can't tell you how many times in my Bible I wrote, this is America, this is America, this is me, this is, this is my nation, this is, this is us. And it was like a mirror. I mean, he couldn't have, Jeremiah could be here right now. He could have YouTubed it, done a social, done a whole TikTok on it. It couldn't have been more relevant than it is right now. It is so for us. It is so for our time. He warns about some things that if we want revival, we need to listen to his warnings because the people of Jeremiah's time missed out on revival. They didn't get revival they got exile. And I don't know about you, but I don't want exiled from him. I want to draw closer to him. And with revival, that's what it does. It draws you closer into the bosom of God. I don't want an exile experience. I want a revival. Can I get an amen in the house? Some of you have been in exile for way too long. You've been distanced for way too long, and you came here tonight because you're wanting something. So what? we're going to deal with some stuff. We can't get to revival until we deal with some stuff. 
Some of it's going to be corporate. Some of it's going to be personal. But we have to be willing. Jeremiah 33.3, one of my mom's favorite scriptures was, guys, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what thus saith the Lord. Lord, that's my prayer. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see this evening. I have until 3 a.m., right? Okay, good. <laughs> I won't do that to you. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit might. I don't know. <laughs> all right. First of all, he warns about these alliances and affiliations. Jeremiah 2:18. What have you gained by your alliances with Egypt and your covenants with Assyria? What good to you are the streams of the Nile or the waters of the Euphrates River? Jeremiah was specifically dealing with political alliances. And let me tell you, honey, I could sit there for a hot minute because we are in this season where we're, we align with one party or another. And it's almost become, I don't know, let's say a God to some people that I know their, their political affiliations more than I know where they stand with God. And we have bought into this lie that God is on the, on the side of the Republicans or God is on the side of the Democrats. I'm here to tell you, he's not on either side. We need to have when jo Joshua talked to the, the angel that showed up, he said, whose side are you on? He says, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. I'm on the side of the Lord. And we have this all messed up because the enemy has come in and he has been so clever and we have been so ignorant of his devices because he's come in and he's convinced the Republicans that it's all about righteousness and, and the abortion issue and the transgender issue and the homosexuality issue and then he's come into the Democrats and he's told them that it's really only about social justice but I'm here to tell you what the word of God says because that's my source not a donkey and not an elephant but a lamb and he told me in Jeremiah 4 4 as surely as the Lord lives you could do so with justice truth and righteousness then you would be a blessing to the nation the enemy has come in and divided us politically so that we don't understand that if the Christians would unite and form their own political party then we would be a blessing to the nations because we weren't supposed to choose just righteousness and we weren't supposed to choose just justice we were supposed to be united in all those three things truth righteousness and justice but the enemy has come in and he has divided us I have seen families torn apart by political views instead of being united over the word of God but it's more than just political alliances oh honey I'm so sorry it's more than that it is that word alliance means to join to to yoke and the Lord has been dealing with somebody or somebody's about some things you have been aligned to some things you have been yoked to and he's been telling you for quite some time to sever those alliances to cut those strings that yoke that you have called a relationship that he says to you you are not to be unequally yoked and aligned and you have been dismissing that you want revival you better take that yoke off you want revival you better cut some alliances that are dragging you down instead of pulling you to the king you better recognize what you were yoked to our commitments our relationships what is our source in time of need where are you running to and in this case running back to because he was blatantly said you're running they had made two political alliances and one of them was with Egypt which would have been such a smack in God's face because he said I already delivered you from Egypt and that's who you're running back to that's where you're going after didn't I already set you free and you're running back where are you running back to when life hits you hard, and it's been a tough, how many can say it's been a tough year? Where did you run to? Where did you run to? You better run to the rock. 
You better run to the one who will supply and give exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ever ask or think because there's no other alliance that's going to do that for you. They, he said, you're running to those streams. What is watering you this morning? This morning, I'm used to preaching in the morning. What is watering you? What streams are you, are you drawing from? He said this in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have done two evil things, have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that cannot hold water at all. So not only have we abandoned him, we have replaced him with a pathetic copy. A dirty cistern in the ground that can't even hold water instead of the living water he has for us. What have you replaced him with? What have you substituted him with? Because in a post-Christian era, we continuously substitute living water for self-gathered water that will never sustain. I can tell you from experience, I lived it. I've tried to gather water from something that does not sustain. I have tried to gather water that was tainted and mired and mocked and disgusting and I kept drinking it anyways even though I knew truth until someone came and woke me up why are you continuing to drink from that when he has living water for you we do some stupid stuff come on look at your neighbor and say you stupid just kidding don't do that <laughs> don't do that don't do that <laughs> amen when you hit revival that refreshing living water man if you, you remember when you first got saved I was 19 I grew up in church my entire life my father was a preacher he died when I was young and I let that be my excuse to act like a fool when I was a teenager but when he got a hold of me and I was one of those people when I get saved when I live for the Lord one day like that was my plan <laughs> I was going to live righteously, and then one day I was going to live for him. And by the grace of God, he, he kept me. But when I think about when you kind of the butterfly feelings the first time you fell in love with your husband, and now you stop shaving your legs, and you. <laughs> I, I'm going to warn you. I already warned Kenan. I'm at that menopause stage. And you know what they say PMS will make, will, will make you kill your husband, menopause will make him want to kill himself. Pray for Kenan. He's about there. <laughs> but that, that feeling, sometimes you got to go back to that feeling to rediscover that living water. You shouldn't have to, but we do. We're human. We're human. To go back, stop drinking from sister and sisters. All right? He then addressed in Jeremiah 8, 8, this twisted gospel. Everybody say twisted gospel. How can you say we are wise? Be, how can you, how, oh, sorry, we are wise because we have the word of the Lord. When your teachers have twisted it by writing lies. A.K.A. woke gospel. This movement has hijacked the Christian church, disguising itself as a gospel-centered movement calling for reconciliation. It has done nothing but create division. So when the politics couldn't do it outside the church, they have now brought the rogue gospel in the church to, to cause more division. Okay? While there have always been denominational differences, the true church has been united around the essentials of sound, biblical doctrine, and truth until recently. This should scare you very much if you didn't know your savior amen there was a time we disagreed about things like how to worship do you lift your hands do you not lift your hands do you dance in church do you stand like a stick all right do you sit down do you stand up do you worship loud do you reverently sing do you speak in tongues or not speak in tongues we just speak in tongues amen all right do you get sprinkled or baptized these were the things we disagreed on. Do you use the King James Version or get real radical like me and use New Living Translation? <laughs> These were the things 
we used to argue about silly, really silly things, truthfully. <laughs> there was a senator, or a bat, let me back up, a preacher from Atlanta, Georgia, my pseudo hometown, who ran for office, and he said that abortion was justified. A pastor who was preaching that abortion is okay. And I remember when Kenyon shared that with me, crying in the shower, Lord, what has happened to your church? There are things I thought we would always disagree on. Whether the speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues, things, okay, whatever. I got the gift. They don't want the gift. No big deal. But this, Lord, this we're going to, we are going to say this is not sin anymore. We're now going to say that homosexuality in our pulpits is okay. We're now going to say that things that once were sin are now automatically not sin. I just need to clear something up for you. You and I do not get to decide what is and what is not sin. Not now, not ever. He wrote the book, I just follow the instructions. If he says it's sin, it was sin then, it is sin now, and it cannot be taken away by any law, any agenda, any movement, any political party. Nobody but the blood of Jesus can say sin has been washed away. But we now live in a time where we have people saying this is not sin. It allows us to think that we don't need a savior. This is why we need revival because we have people walking around not even knowing that they are jacked up, that they are falling apart, and they are heading straight to hell because somebody else told them you don't have any sin in your life. We have come into this lie. We have bought into this lie that to say there's some, that if a doctor came to me and said, Stephanie, you have cancer, I would not say to him, you're mean, you're a bigot, you're hateful. I would say, what's the solution? What can we do? But we now live in a world that if you say, listen, that's sin. You're mean, you're hateful, you're a bigot. No, you are spiritually sick and I'm here to tell you how I got healed I'm here to tell you because I was once sick too I was once on the floor curled up in the fetal position asking God why me and he said because I have a plan and a purpose for your life get your butt up and get to work because we have got to stop thinking that we can't share the gospel that we can't point out what needs to be pointed out we are now living in that time, and we need to be able to say, sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. I needed a Savior because I was riddled with sin, riddled from head to toe in sin, and no law fixed it, no agenda, no movement. It was purely by the blood and the, of Jesus Christ, by his grace and his mercy. Only the blood of Jesus gets rid of sin. It took a blood-stained cross. His death was messy. His death was ugly. It was brutal. It was unforgiven. His death was heart-wrenching. But guess what? My sin was ugly. My sin was messy. My sin was gut-wrenching. My sin was destructive. My sin was taking me down. But by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, he took it all away. He wiped it all away. He revived this dead soul because someone had enough sense to turn to me and say girl you in sin can we be that bold again sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. This woke gospel, 
when you, you better nip it if it tries to come through those doors you better stand united you and all these other churches that are represented here you better guard that gate you better protect the house of God and don't let any foolishness through that door you better not be afraid why when did correction become rejection when did correction become rejection Hit it. you can't leave it on pastor Ron and Leah to carry the burden of this house to protect. When Nehemiah was building the wall, he put the people all around the city with the fam by families with a sword and a weapon in his hand. Some of you need to learn to get a sword and your weapon in your hand to protect the house of God. We have pastors leaving churches at alarming rates. Alarming rates. The suicide rate for pastors has gone up because too many people are sitting down and leaving it all to, to the pastors to protect the house. We unite and protect together because there's a gospel that is contrary to the one that my Christ died for that is trying to seep into our churches. You better start protecting. You better start watching the gates. Next he talks about in Jeremiah 6.13, from the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they are all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds, and they give assurance of peace when there is no peace. I don't know which one is scarier, the woke gospel or the watered-down gospel. Two very different types of of gospels. One's just a complete lie, and the other one was just like, shh, don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to scare everybody away. <laughs> don't talk about the blood. That's kind of creepy. Just, just say, you know, he just, he peacefully died on the cross. <laughs> All right? We have this watered down gospel that we're preaching and in order to build churches, we stop preaching repentance. We stop preaching about the blood. We stop preaching about the Holy Spirit. We stop preaching about the resurrection power. We have tickled ears for what they want to hear. We have life coached people into complacency. We have these, these life coaches everywhere. I don't want a life coach. I want a pastor. I want someone who's going to lead with boldness and speak truth to me. And, and when I need it, give me correction and bring conviction. Somebody, I had someone share a post the other day, and I, and I know their heart was in the right place. But I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that's watered-down gospel or woke gospel. I'm going to have to dissect that one over some coffee. But it said this. It said, we need to stop preaching to the saints and reaching the lost. When were we supposed to choose? When were we? I didn't know this was an A-B test here. I thought it was C, all of the above. I thought we were supposed to. The reason why we have a woke gospel is because the watered-down gospel happened first. It let the woke gospel in because you have uneducated, uninformed, illiterate believers who haven't cracked a Bible in probably 20 years. It's not written in. It's not highlighted. There's nothing. They're, they're, they, they, they use just their cell phones. What is that wimpiness? I'm going to tell you why. That, the Bible says do not be ignorant of his devices. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Get off that app. Get yourself a good old-fashioned printed Bible. I'm not going to beat the devil with my iPhone. But this, this, yeah, exactly. Because you get on that app and you get a notification from Facebook. Oh, they liked my picture. Let me go see who else liked my picture. One minute you were ready to get on your knees and cry and pray to the Lord, and next thing you know, you're two hours into Facebook. We're distracted. But this watered-down gospel, I normally do paper. I'm trying to be like my husband and, and do this technology thing. I think I'm old school. I think I need to go back to paper. But this watered-down gospel we have, we're so afraid to preach truth because we're afraid of losing people. And I'm like, I, we, we were at this place. If, what, if preaching truth causes you to leave, we ain't your church. Because we're going to preach truth. We ain't, your, we ain't your tribe. We ain't your people. Go find the 
church of the watering hole that will water it down for you because we are going to give you meat. We're going to fatten you up. We're gonna, you're going to leave hungry. You're not going to leave spiritually hungry. That's, that's what we've been called to do. But 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4 says this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Hmm. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. Welcome to 2021, where people don't want truth. They would rather be in bondage because the Bible says the truth sets us free. We've become addicted to our bondage. I don't want to be free. I don't want to be, I, I just want to be able to say I'm a member of a church. I just want to be able to say that I go to church on Sunday. It looks good on my spiritual resume. But I don't want truth. How many people have you probably lost over the years, Pastor, because you spoke truth and it offended? No, it didn't offend you. That's conviction. Hello? <laughs> conviction, not offense. Big difference. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm probably not saying his name right, but the great German pastor, theologian, martyr, spy, was asked in 1943 how it was possible for the church to sit back and let Hitler seize absolute power. And I found this so interesting because I teach World War II. It's one of the subjects. It's my favorite. If I could just teach the Holocaust, that would like my dream job. All right? Like, I just love World War II. I love it. And I get like, they call me, all my other teachers call me a history nerd. And I'm okay with that. But I've, I researched before I even came across his quote. My immediate thought was, what was the church doing? What were they doing? What were they doing? How did you allow six million people, God's chosen people, hello, get murdered? And when I came across, and I can't teach this in my classroom, but I teach it in my classroom, and I hide it. Because we talk, we talk, we lay it all out there. I'll tell them, listen, guys, for how many of you go to church? How many of you celebrate Christmas? All right, okay, well, let me tell you what they did to the Jews. They, they blamed them for killing Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. And I'm like, guys, do you know Jesus was a Jew? <laughs> You'll be amazed. None of them know. None of them know. So how, how did they do that? He said this. He said this. It was by teaching a cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. We live in a time and culture that not only teaches cheap grace, but praises it. Come on. We need revival. We need revival. Because... That led to a holocaust of six million people. What do you think is going to happen the round two? When the body of Christ is clueless. That we have watered it down. We have woke it up. I didn't even know that it was ever asleep. But apparently we're going to wake up the gospel. What are we going to do? That our culture now praises this. We have uninformed Christians that are not discipled. They are not taught. They don't read the word on their own. They wait for pastor to give it to them. They digest it a little bit, and then they go home. They don't know how to feed themselves. You want revival? You better start learning to feed yourself. Get some word in you. Challenge yourself. Seek it out. Devour it. That's one thing I loved about Jeremiah. He says, when I heard your word, Lord, I devoured it. Are you devouring the word of God? Are you devouring his word? What I love and admire about Jeremiah is he wasn't concerned about pleasing a crowd. He wasn't concerned. He was concerned about pleasing God. 
He would rather ruffle feathers to please God than tickle ears to please men. And we need to pray some people out of some pulpits, and that might not sound very nice, but I'm telling you right now, we either either pray God change them, let them have revival, or move them out, because we don't need any more pastors and preachers and teachers and prophets who are out to make a buck, who are about profiting off the, the kingdom of God and selling another book. We need some pastors and preachers and teachers and prophets who will tell it like it is, preach it like it is, live it like it is, reflect it like it is, and stop watering it down. The only thing you water down is formula, and it keeps you at an infantile state. I Again, I'm not here for formula. I'm here for meat and potatoes, and it shows. I want meat and potatoes kind of gospel. Don't give me no watered down, sugar-coated, diabetic Christian gospel. I want the meat. What was that lady in the, show me the meat. Was that a Wendy's commercial? Where's the meats? Look at your neighbor and say, where's the meats? <laughs> that was a cute commercial. Sorry, I think with menopause, I have these random off-track thoughts that was nowhere in my notes. All right. So we've looked at these alliances. We've looked at this woke gospel that's infiltrated the church, and we know that it's now happened because of a watered-down gospel that preceded it. But we're about to tackle the one thing that God dealt with more than anything else over and over and over and over again. It was like, you ever just tell your kids something? I'm like, what are, what are you not getting? What are you not understanding? And I tell my students, I'll give them instructions. I will put it on the board. I will put pictures with it because they say to do that. And then I'll even verbally tell them. And then I'll put it in their Chromebooks. Like it's, I mean, they have directions everywhere. And then they'll say, and I'll say, anybody have any questions? What are we doing, Mrs. Alexander? <laughs> I'm like, do I speak French or Greek or Latin? Do you not understand? God had to feel like that. Like, am I speaking an unknown language? I mean, like, what, what, what aren't you getting about this idolatry thing? What aren't you understanding about idolatry? I mean, it's number one and two on the Big Ten, people. What aren't you... What aren't you getting? <laughs> because they didn't seem to get it. Jeremiah 2.25. When will you stop running? <laughs> when will you stop panting after other gods? But you say, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods, and I can't stop loving them now. Come on, let me tell you, how many of your kids would still have breath in their bodies if they told you, save your breath? Let me tell you, Noah and Josiah Alexander, I would get Claire Huxtable and be like, I brought you into this world. I'm getting ready to take you out because you don't tell me to save my breath. I gave you breath. <laughs> the fact that God was so patient with them proves he is not a Puerto Rican mama, that he allowed them to live. They said, save your breath, God. We love our idols. And I think we've bought into this lie that that idolatry thing was an Old Testament thing. That because we don't have these giant statues of Baal that we see, or these, I don't even know if I say this right, Asherah poles that they always talk about. We don't have these giant golden statues everywhere. <coughs> we've got some giant stadiums, though giant movie theaters, giant cell phones. <laughs> we, have a, we have a lot of things. Our idols don't look like their idols. I would say our idols are probably grotesquely multiplied. We have an idol issue. Idolatry is often seen as this antiquated issue and out of touch with modern day churches that we have somehow eradicated this issue. But I'm going to tell you right now, it is not just a issue. It is the issue from which all other sin comes from. Idolatry is an excessive or blind adoration of reverence and devotion. 
The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And idolatry is, is anything that is wanting to take up residency in your heart above God. Any revival, go look at it, any revival in order to deal with that sin, they were really dealing with idolatry. What have I chosen over God? What relationship have I put above God? What sin is pleasing me more than my God? What addiction has me more than I'm addicted to God? If you want revival, I'm going to tell you here and now, you better deal with some idols because there isn't a one of us that your whole walk with the Lord is going to be about slaying one idol after another. That's why he said that there should be no other idol before him and let me just under let me help you understand something it doesn't mean as in above him because there's no one above him he sits on the throne of heaven there's no one above my god he's saying there should be nobody in front of him even in my presence no one before him that's the word i actually needed to use wrong preposition alexander nobody before him in my whole life, I thought it was like he, they were first and then God. No, he's saying even in my presence. I don't even want it before me. I don't even want it in my presence. Yet we bring our idols into church all the time. Social media, entertainment is probably one of the biggest idols that we struggle with here in America. It is a distraction I have all these grand plans when I come home from, from work. I'm going to cook. I'm going to clean. I'm going to put a load, wash at least a load of laundry every day. I'm going to do all, yeah, you're laughing because you feel me. All right, all these things I'm going to do. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to, those sixth graders wore me out today. I'm just going to lay down for a minute and just see what's happened on Facebook. Five hours later, Kendon's coming home, and I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> What'd you do today? Oh, babe, I, I wasn't feeling well. So my <laughs> now I went into a lie because of my idol of social media. How many of you, come on, I know I'm not alone here. How many of you have wasted hours, hours on that idol? And it's deprived you of time you could have spent in the word. It's deprived you of time you could have spent with your kids. And it deprived you of time you could have been developing intimacy, relationship with your husband. It's deprived you of things because you now have an idol and you don't even realize that it's an idol. We all have them. They, they, they're prevalent around us. Jeremiah 7.30 says this. They have set up their abominable idols right in the temple that bears my name, defying it. Idols will cause you to ignore truths you know to have life. It will cause you to choose your will over God's will. Idolatry will cause you to put people and things in your life before loving, serving, and following God. Idolatry will make you a fan of Christ but not a follower. When we struggle with idolatry, we have a hard time putting down our idols to pick up his cross and his mantle. It can be the commitments we have. It can be the sports that our kids, I'm sorry, I can't tell you how many people have said, I'm sorry, it's soccer season, I can't be at church. How's that going to work for you when somebody in your family's dying of cancer? And I say to you, I'm sorry, I can't come pray with you. It's basketball season. Then the tables are going to be turned. Well, you're supposed to be serving him all the time. Yes, and so are you. <laughs> we have idols that are consuming us. But the scary ones are the ones we don't really recognize and I'm going to hit on something here, and, I, and when I preached this at my church, I, I said, I, I'm not here to offend. This is just what God showed me, and it brought conviction to me. And I believe if this, this, I think the church has been doing some things wrong for a really, really long time to hold on to tradition. One of the first scriptures I read you tonight was Mark 4, I'm going to go back to it, Mark 7, 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. 
I think it's interesting that the two most important religious holidays we celebrate could remove Christ completely and the world could still celebrate them. That should bother us. That should concern us. Do you know not one single feast that God created has been tainted by the world? Not one single one. You don't have some type of elf on the shelf for Passover. You don't have uh, uh, people dressed in costumes and going around scaring each other for the, I want to say it's the Feast of Tabernacles. When I teach my students, I, I teach them how to take a test. And I say, boys and girls, this is the thing. On any history test, you're going to usually have four choices. Two are very obvious, like you're not even going to choose those two. All right? They're the ones that, you know, we don't sacrifice people as Christians, right? That's pretty obvious. <laughs> we don't wrestle snakes and choke chickens as they once thought we did. All right? We don't do that. That's just the obvious things we don't do. But then there's going to be the right answer, and then there's going to be the distractor. We have been distracted for a very long time in the body of Christ by traditions we have held on to that are contrary to the word of God. And as my, I was never raised to practice Easter with the eggs and all that. And we did it a few times at church. Ken and I did it because, you know, we wanted to hook them. They taught us whatever, you know, to win the lost, to whatever it cost to win the lost. And one year we dropped 50,000 eggs from a helicopter. <laughs> Not, and let me tell you, my fingers were sore from putting those eggs together. Not a single person came to church on Sunday. So the next year I said, I'm not doing that again. Next year, we're going to tell them they have to come to service first. And then they can go get their eggs. <laughs> we had people who were mad at us. And they actually stood on the outskirt of the park we were at. And once we went into service, they went and started taking the eggs. Never came into service. I said, Kenden, we're done. We're done. Because it wasn't about those eggs anyways. And then God showed me this. And I understood why. In Nehemiah, <laughs> not Nehemiah, Jeremiah 7, God laid it out then. Can we all agree what was right then is still right now? Can we all agree that what was right then is still right now? And I can say the reason why God might not be moving in our churches is because we've allowed pagan worship in our churches and we don't even realize it. You want revival? It's going to take you changing some traditions. And you might not like what I'm about to say because you're going to be like, oh, my kids are going to be disappointed. And again, then you have an idol. His name is Billy Bob and not Jesus because you're not here to please your kids. You're here to please God. But I'm just going to say that. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them. And don't beg me to help them for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judea, Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I am so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make the cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And I'm like, what? Say what? Jesus didn't get married? I'm the bride. <laughs> Who is this boo? Who is she? Who is she? This queen of heaven. Her name is Ishtar. She's from where you and I get the name Easter. And just like then, those kids gathered to worship Ishtar. And today, when we are supposed to be honoring Jesus, our kids are gathering for Ishtar. And his word says that there should be no other God before him. Yet on the most religious day of our faith, he is sharing the podium with an Easter bunny. And we don't see anything wrong with that. I'm about to rock your world. Because he, if he was sick of it then, and it disgraced him then, and he said, don't weep anymore for them. I will not help them. What makes you think it doesn't still disgrace and, and hinder him from moving on our behalf now? Because we have to 
hold on to our traditions? Why aren't more churches celebrating Passover? Are we foolish enough to think that that is just a Jewish holiday? God created it, and every single one of his feasts point to the Messiah. Every single one. But we don't celebrate any of them in the church. Can anybody answer that for me? I'm going to tell you why. The enemy has come in. He has convinced us that is not our thing. Jesus celebrated the Passover. Jesus was the Passover. So why are we celebrating a bunny when we should be celebrating a lamb? I'm just going to lay it out there. We have a lot of distractors in the body of Christ. And if you want revival, we are going to have to start tearing those idols down. You think, oh, it's not a big deal. Let me tell you why it's a big deal. In the, in the region we are in, they started with <coughs> the uh, trunk or treat. Innocent, right? A church in our area just recently did a haunted house inside their church. A haunted house. They, they willingly said, hey, all the demons in the area, please come in. Just come on in. We're going to step it up because the trunk or tree wasn't bringing enough people in. We're just going to cross on over and we're going to do a haunted house. This is what happens when he was saying here, you have, your, you have this in my, my temple. What are we bringing into his temple? This here and this here. Begins here, comes out here. In, this, in, your, in our churches, they have set up abominable idols right in the temple that bears my name and defiling it. Let me tell you, if the church would wake up and start honoring God the way he is supposed to be honored and stop putting these distractors above him, I'm telling you real revival would come in this nation. Tomorrow, we're going to look very briefly at Nehemiah. The first thing they did, the first thing they did was reinstitute the fest one of the festivals that should have been happening, and they didn't do it. I don't need to say, let's throw out all our traditions. Let's stop doing Christmas. But I have an atheist friend that celebrates Easter and Christmas. Her kids don't even know who Jesus is. When are we going to wake up? that we've allowed the enemy in and we've sugar-coated it and dipped it in chocolate and put it in an egg and, and saying, uh, it's, it's not about Christ anymore. We, oh, there's a war on Christmas. There isn't a war on Christmas. We, we lost it to, to the fat guy in the red suit. And we're oblivious to it. No one before him. I don't want to be like Jeremiah 7:27. This is the nation whose people will not obey the Lord their God and refuse to be taught. Truth has vanished from among them. It is no longer heard on their lips. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want to be that nation. We have been a beacon to the world since our conception and now we are becoming this post-christian era that is rejecting everything we were built upon and it didn't happen just like with the people in jeremiah's day it didn't happen overnight guys it happened one little choice after one little choice that it's no it's no big deal that's no big deal it's just for custom it's just for tradition it's not harmful now we're reaping the effects. Jeremiah 12, 2. Your name is on our lips, but our heart is far from you. Just like Judas. Judas kissed him on the cheek, but his heart was far from him. I don't want to be that person. 
I need revival. God, I need you to bring conviction. I need you to speak to me. I need you to tell me, God, what is it that I need to lay down? Am I holding on to traditions because it pleases me and it pleases my kids? Or at this moment right now, are you telling me this is the first step to revival? There are some things you're going to have to let go of because they're not pleasing the Lord. I want to be instead like Jeremiah 15. And I want you to stand to your feet. And if there's anybody coming to play, and I'm hoping that when I speak, when I spoke tonight, resonates with some with you. Because revival is about repentance. Revival is about God working on you. Revival is about acknowledging, God, I, I thought I had it but there's some things I'm missing. Instead, I want to be like Jeremiah 15, 15. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord of heaven. I want to be that person. I don't want to be afraid of truth, because truth means I'm going to have to let go of some things. Truth means I might have to let go of some people. Truth means I, I might have to change some things in my life that I've been comfortable with for so long. Revival is going to make you uncomfortable. I actually got saved at a revival. That's where I gave my heart to the Lord. How many of you remember Rodney Howard Brown? It was 1995. And I was a hot, <laughs> hot mess. Everything I thought I had planned for my life, none of it was working out. Not a single thing. And I just felt that whole victim mentality. What was me? What was me? Nothing works out for me. Poor, poor little Spanish girl from the wrong side of the tracks. Dad's died. Mom, I had to believe in mom and she prayed for me and all these things but I didn't have that relationship and after a series of events I moved to Florida because the school I, I thought I mean if you had a pulse you could get into the school and I didn't, I didn't get in and I was devastated because that's where all my friends were going and I moved to Florida <laughs> to live with my sister she said come here just come I just felt my whole world was falling apart and she took me to a revival service and I was 19 and mind you I'd gotten I'll say this I'd gotten saved when I was really saved when I was 13 was speaking in tongues at 13 and walked away from all that because that wasn't cool that wasn't the cool thing to do so I went as far in the opposite direction as I possibly could I was drinking, I was smoking, um, uh, just things were bad. Then I moved to Florida, and you know the enemy <laughs> knows how to send the wrong person at the right time, and it was the wrong relationship. And the last thing I had to held on to, that went, if you get my drift. So I felt as dirty and as low as I could possibly go, and my sister said, I want you to go to this revival service. She goes, there's all this laughter. There's all this laughter that's happening. And I was like, I could do that drunk. She's like, no, I need you to come. I want you to come. And I went and I listened and I saw all the laughing and all the falling out. And I was like, okay, this is entertaining. And he said, I want you. And here's the thing. He wasn't this real prolific speaker. Not that I remember anything he was saying. But he simply said, I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Something that simple. And my sister turned. I said, oh, girl, don't look at me. I remember putting my, but before you got the hand, I invented that in 1995. <laughs> go ahead and give me credit. I said, don't look at me. And she goes, Stephanie, look at me. And before I could even look at her, the tears are coming. She goes, look at me. If you die tonight, do you know you would go to heaven? I said, I know I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. It wasn't the laughter that saved me. 
it wasn't all the hooplas and the goosebumps it was the truth that saved me that is what I remember the change that happened inside of me but that day there was a lot I had to lay down there was a lot I had to give up but I guarantee you nothing I gave up compared to what I got in return because the spiritual economics that God works with is beyond my understanding every burden every weight every worthless feeling I had every feeling of disgust everything the every lie the enemy told me from the time I can remember hearing his voice it was immediately shut and the voice of God began to say you are my daughter you are called by me you are planned and you are purposed and I have direction for you and all these things began to finally make sense because he revived what was once dead because I was willing to admit I had a problem I couldn't fix me and long story short he closed that door to lead me to ORU to where I met my husband to where I said I would never marry a pastor I then married a pastor and where I said I would never preach now I'm here preaching never say never with God because he'll do the impossible but it took me laying some idols down and the biggest one is me we had this conversation your biggest idol is you so we're just going to start there because pastor said i want you to make it personal and i want you to say i want revival you can't say i want revival and still hold on to the idol of me so we are going to pray and i have a prayer team up here and we're going to lay some of you you could just where you're at you might not have as big of a something to lay down and I wish we could get something maybe in our hands to represent 